Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delicio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to our newest episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. This is Mike Delicio, and I'm joined with my partner in crime, Sebastian Dennison. Seb, how's it going? Man, I'm excited about today. This is going to be a good one. Uh, I, I would agree. Over the last three episodes, we um, had a chance to talk more about regulatory guidelines from 795, 97, and USP 800. Uh, and given where we stand from a clinical point of view, there was much debate as to when we were going to release a podcast talking about naltrexone. Um, and it's many different applications. But most importantly, um, how we kind of landed on this topic and landed on today's guest was uh, asking Mr. Nat Jones to join us again. So hi, Nat. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi. How y'all doing? We're doing great. And you were uh, definitely a hit on episode 10 when we spoke about dermatological compounding and uh, felt that both yourself and Sebastian are two of our most internal experts as it pertains to naltrexone. And this is going to be an opportunity for you guys to give very basic knowledge and basic information to those who are looking for more data, more um, anecdotal evidence, and more things that people have been doing within the marketplace, but then also giving you guys the chance to discuss how naltrexone is being applied in so many different disease states and in different arenas. Before we get started, I wanted to say that with any treatment, it is important to research the available uh, clinical and scientific literature to support your decision for initiating therapy. It is also of paramount importance to understand the side effects, mechanism of action, and potential uh, negative consequences of starting that treatment for any patient and ensuring that you've got proper communication and documentation with the physician and with the patient. The reason why is because when we're talking about these treatments, it's not just a, oh, this is great, and it's going to be easily applied to every single patient under the sun. It would be really important to make sure you're doing the clinical assessment appropriately with that supporting evidence. Um, So on that note, Nat, are you ready? How has naltrexone changed the way we interact with our pharmacies who interact with their patients over the last few years and how it pertains to clinical development? Well, I, um, as I usually end up mentioning it somewhere in one of my talks uh, of late, uh, I think naltrexone is probably going to be the drug of the decade. And uh, I believe it because it's finding uh, an amazing number of applications in, in disease states that that we really hadn't really thought about. I mean, it's just kind of fun. If you think about how, you know, like it got started, um, you know, oh my gosh, um, I don't know. I can't remember exactly how far back it got, it got going. It was probably somewhere uh, like around 2000, uh, early 2000s. Uh, I remember dispensing my first uh, low-dose naltrexone capsule to a multiple sclerosis patient probably around 2006, somewhere along in there, I'm thinking, 2005. Um and there was a Dr. Bahari up in New York who had started using this in his clinical practice um, years before that, apparently, and was kind of like the, the, the guy that got the whole low-dose naltrexone ball rolling. And, and, and the list of diseases that it's involved with now is just, it's mind-blowing. Uh, now, in terms of are there big clinical studies saying that it works for all these diseases? They all know it really isn't. And like you said, Mike, it's mostly anecdotal stuff we're getting. So, and that's how a lot of things start in medicine. You hear, okay, I took this and, you know, 
it got better. Then 10 more people try it and they got better. So they, you know, after a while, the numbers kind of add up to a point where there's some, some compelling evidence to at least do research on a topic to find out if it, it's helpful or not. And that's what's happening with, with Lotus on Trexone. There's, it's gaining momentum in a lot of different areas. And the researchers are looking at it. There's just ha- there just haven't been any large, large clinical trials for all the disease states. I mean, it hadn't happened uh, to, to the extent that we'd like to see it. The, the whole process has been kind of a slow but sure thing. Like I said, I first started with, with um, multiple sclerosis patients. Well, I mean, um, I've heard uh, Dr. Pam Smith in many of our lectures say that she literally recommends low-dose naltrexone for virtually every autoimmune patient that she now treats, unless there's a compelling reason for them not to be on it, like they're sensitive to it or they're on opioids, you know, something, a good reason not to put your patient on naltrexone, right? So um, it, the conversations with everybody on low-dose naltrexone, I think, have increased, and the types of conversations we're getting, people are coming in going, do you think this would be helpful for my disease? Well, that, is that too much? <laughs> no, this is. The, <laughs> I think you and I are in the same boat, and we see it throughout the entire compounding community. I think, yeah, I was doing the same thing back in early two thousands. Uh, why are we doing this for multiple sclerosis? Why are we doing this for fibromyalgia? I, uh, you know, there's not a lot of research, and the mechanism about it wasn't known. But now we're starting to see the mechanisms becoming more clearly defined, and we're starting mm-hmm. to see sort of the applications like, oh well. Once you see the pattern, all of a sudden it jumps out at you and you go, oh, we can use it for this. We can actually use it for that. Um, I actually had a case where I want to talk about this one at a later date, but they, they were asking about interstitial cystitis. And we can see that there's an overstimulation of the TLR4. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, naltrexone does the exact opposite of what's actually happening in those patients. So using an oral low-dose naltrexone would it be appropriate for an interstitial cystitis. I see patient. I'll just say that. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I never knew. Who knew? That? Like, it's just, it, it's, it, the patient population that it's applicable in, it just gets ever expanding. So um, that kind of leads us to the jump off. Like, we brought you on because you are our derm expert and you're seeing even more and more because there's so much more application in, in the derm world. So, we're going to ask you to give us kind of the high level, like wh- where where are you starting with this? Why are you seeing the application get so so much traction in that patient population? Well, it, it uh, turns out that that um, naltrexone in the in the derm world has got um, a couple different reasons that it's being useful. Um, you talked about TLR four receptors. You mentioned yep. that real quick. That's Tolec receptor four, which is a receptor that's found in the skin, <laughs> other places, right? So, and that has every, it's part of our immune system. So the, for the people that are listening, they don't know what that is. It's, it's, it's a, a receptor that's found in the tissues that um, can up or down regulate our innate immune system, right? So it's one of those things where we're either going to create, if it's, if it's activated, we're going to create an inflammatory process, which is normal for our immune system to cause inflammation. That's what it's supposed to do, right? Um, or we can, if we turn that off, then we can turn off that signal and we can decrease inflammation. So that's, that's kind of how we're looking at it. So if, if you've got a, a dermatologic problem that has uh, inflammation associated with it, and pretty much all of them do, I mean, yeah. I mean you know, the, the word, uh, you know, rash comes to mind. It's, it's not the word everybody likes to use, but everybody knows what we're talking about. It's a rash. It's red. It's irritated. You know, I mean, there's inflammation in that tissue. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're going to, if you have a drug that can actually uh, antagonize those receptors, in other words, kind of block them off or close them down, 
then you're going to decrease inflammation. And, and think about how many derm, derm conditions that could apply to. The second thing, or the, the other thing, and this is one of the things actually that you turned me on to several years back, are the studies showing that it decreases itching. Probably for that very same mechanism, but there are studies out there showing that it helps with itching from psoriasis. It helps with itching in um, uh, atopic dermatitis. It helps with a whole bunch of different derm conditions. In fact, uh, you've had, you've got experience using it on bug bites. Yep. So when we're talking about these creative applications of, of naltrexone, once you see sort of that uh, hyperinflammatory response, we go, great. I have a I have something that can downregulate the inflammation, and now I can use it. And so you were talking about this formula. You said it's a eardrop. Do you, you've got the formula number? Yeah, our formula number is one three three one seven. It's a naltrexone, zero point five percent, non-aqueous drop for the ears, and it uh, it does help with itching. And I think this is where I, I've discovered somewhat recently that there's at least four different receptor mechanisms that are involved in the. Uh, differential effects that we see in naltrexone. So we've got the TLR4, we've got the TLR9, this is a new one, um, mm -hmm. we've got the mu receptor, and we've got the opioid growth factor receptor. And so since we're talking about derm, I know there's mu receptors in the skin, there's opioid growth factors involved in the skin, this is where some of the itch can come from. TLR4, the TLR9 is more of an internal one, so we're, we're not going to touch on that one, but it comes into play long term if you're talking about uh, dietary impact, gut infunction, and then you're talking about a kind of a systemic uh, effect. So, but you're seeing it. What what else are you using? So you're doing ear. You're doing probably doing. Uh, you said skin, but do you have any better? Well, you, you just you just mentioned um, topical or gastrointestinal. So for patients who have dermatologic problems, I recommend low dose naltrexone orally because of its effect on the lining of the gut, the decrease in the inflammation in the gut. And inflammation in the skin usually starts out as inflammation in the gut. Most people just don't see the gut, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of, oh, I just have indigestion or, or I have some sort of dysbiosis or I've got, uh, you know, irritable ir irritation in my bowels or maybe I've got diarrhea, whatever. They have these symptoms, but they're not putting that together as a chronic pattern to developing a skin uh, eruption. So, uh, for example, this leads me into um, a particular disease state. Um, called psoriasis. Psoriasis is an inflammatory disease state, right? That starts, in my opinion, it starts with inflammation in the gut almost always. So if you're going to look at, you know, the skin as a detox organ, which it is, um, you know, the body's got to eliminate things one way or another. And if the gut is not, if the gut's allowing stuff to be absorbed that shouldn't, in other words, you've got a permeability problem or what the naturopathic physicians call leaky gut, and you're getting stuff into the bloodstream, now you've got a shift in the immune function at the gut lining, right? Because where all the immunoglobulins are being produced, right? You've got this upregulation of antibody production. You've got a lot more things getting into the bloodstream. Now the body has to go into a chronic defense mode. The immune system kind of gets jacked up and it causes inflammation in one or more organ systems in the body. And the skin just happens to be one of those that ends up dealing with it. You know I mean? It's, it's trying to get, it's got mess coming its way that it can't handle anymore. And, and yes, psoriasis, is a genetic disease in so much that it is there's a genetic predisposition but the weak link in the chain that causes the disease to manifest is usually the, is something's wrong with the permeability in the gut you know so if you can do lotus naltrexone and help put out that fire right you're down regulating those that inflammatory process at the gut level have the patient change their diet 
you know, add in a couple of helpful things to rebuild the flora, some probiotics and some glutamine and things like that to help with gut repair. Now you're working from the inside out to, to get the skin looking better. And it makes a huge difference, big, big, big difference. So to that extent, uh, I, I think that, um, you know, now Trexone, Lotus Naltrexone has a place in hundreds of derm conditions. There's, from that perspective, I, th- I don't think there's a limit as to which ones you could recommend it for almost, right? So um, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit a pause button, potentially a rewind, because I, I knew that one thing that was going to happen by getting both of you guys on an Naltrexone podcast is that you were going to go from zero to 100 pretty quick. Um, <laughs> and, and my assumption is that most of our audience... Um, might be tuning in to learn more and where to get started from an educational point of view. So on behalf of PCC, I believe that the podcast that which we do on a biweekly basis and, for example, us picking this topic was a great opportunity as an add-on or either if people want to learn more and um, whether it's a clinical piece of information or something regulatory, they have the ability to go back and listen to these podcasts all over again. Thinking back from um, a, compounding, a compounding pharmacy's point of view, so um, and the question is to both of you guys. There's been so much information. I asked you the first question, Nat, kind of like, where did we start with all this? Where did you see an uptake? Where was their momentum? And you said it was probably around the mid-2000s where you saw a definite shift and a couple of key physicians and prescribers that were moving the dial and obviously influencing the entire market. Um, if you've been involved in the last five years, for example, where did you find a lot of your information, even outside of the derm world, but where did you start to acquire information both in and out of PCCA? And um, how would one get accustomed to being more, uh, how can I put it, uh, just being more aware as to all the opportunities? Um, and then I'll let you guys kind of geek out <laughs> afterwards so we can kind of... Uh, probably put a, a more of a, a wrap and a bow on this podcast specifically, but I'm also thinking about people that just want to get started and uh, are jumping into this a bit later in the game, but still in its infancy in the grand scheme of things. Before Nat begins, uh, just really quickly, I'd like to reiterate that with uh, any treatments, it is important to research the available clinical and scientific literature when evaluating the treatment for that patient. It is also important to document and ensure that the physician is aware of these particular concerns and uh, monitoring parameters for the patient. Um, I can't stress this enough. Document your decision for these patients, put it in your notes in your patient file, and give that opportunity uh, or give that information over to the physician. So, Nat, continue on. I think one of the great places to start, obviously, is the internet. I mean, if you look at uh, how much information is out there, um, there's uh, one of the re- one of the websites that I have found to be very useful in getting information in general about Lotus Naltrexone is the LDNResearchTrust.org. So if you just log on to LDNResearchTrust.org, you will find pretty much everything we've talked about so far, except for maybe some of the details about the disease states and and that sort of stuff. That, but that's um, a doctor, or sorry, that's Linda Ellisgood's site, and it's correct. And she's a huge advocate, and she she was a patient, and then she just likes to spread the good word about it. So she has a lot of research, but I, I don't know if it's necessarily only scientific based. It's also patient driven, and mm-hmm. it kind of ex- it really does flush out this for a lot of patients. It's a brilliant site, and we can't say enough nice things about her. She's really worked tirelessly over the last number of years. So. 
And you were on her po- her podcast not too long ago, right? Did an interview. So. Yep. Because yeah. she, this is a really interesting one. Uh, non-compounding pharmacies really can't get into the low-dose naltrexone world. Um, it's the titrations and the starting point and finish point for patients is very mm-hmm. discreet. And the commercially available ones, you said 25 milligrams is the lowest strength possible. And grinding that up is like making um, lasagna with, with Big Macs. That was kind of the only way we could do it. But we found that all the extra stuff in the uh, commercial tablets wasn't helping the patients. And now that we've been able to make it much cleaner, man, the results are, are that much m- more pronounced. So, But keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Where else do you look, Nat? Well, I, and um, I'm kind of different, I think, than uh, your a lot of people in that I actually, <laughs> I actually have the time uh, because of working for who I work for to actually go on the internet and go on PubMed and find articles. And I'm constantly, literally every day, I spend time on PubMed looking for the latest, greatest, uh, researching topics on whatever it is that I'm currently working on, projects I'm currently working on. And I, you know, I've amassed a, 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 a file, so to speak, on naltrexone and also on derm and naltrexone and all these different things that I've come across. Um, but and, I don't know, I think a lot of what I've, I've picked up on this, I, I, because I, I lean very heavily towards functional medicine in terms of my approach, in terms of uh, how do I look at a patient? How do I help uh, practitioners or, or pharmacists go about uh, helping that patient get well or get better? Um, is from a holistic perspective. I like to make sure that I'm looking at the whole patient and not just, you know, trying to come up with a formula to, to treat that exact moment in time. Although that's what we get, we as we end up doing. But I think that if you just go on the internet, you're going to find so much information on naltrexone. It's unbelievable. You know, is it all reliable? No. Is it all? Is a lot of it anecdotal? Yes. But there is research being done. Like I said, if you just go to PubMed and you type in low dose naltrexone or just naltrexone in general, and then you start reading through the articles, you're going to find. Lots and lots and lots of stuff. And that'll pique your curiosity, Mike. So if you, if you, if you, and once you get an article, you run down the rabbit trail. I go to the references at the end of the article and I start looking all those up, right? I got the time and that's what I do. So I find all the other references. Okay, what is this guy reading? What is this person reading? What is this group of people put this article together? What did they read to come to this conclusion they came to? You know what I mean? So after a while, you kind of get the, the big picture on what the data that's out there and how can I go about getting, you know, a more, a better perspective on whatever topic it is, but in this case, you know, now Trexone. So, yeah. I, I, for me personally, where it all started was we had a few students in here. They gave us a little bit of uh, research information and then we were able to, as a team, pick it up and run. Our team actually shares a ton of information back and forth. It'll be like regularly once, twice a week. Uh, hey, did you see this? Did you see this new article? Uh, hey, I've talked to this person, and this is the latest article I saw. So repository, certainly with our team, but uh, Google Scholar also is a fairly good spot. And then finally, there the uh, there is a book from the LDN Research Network that they actually have a book. It's called the LDN Book. And it's actually in... Man, I don't even know how many copies she sold now. You can pick that one up on eBay or Amazon. Just start there, read through that. And then lastly, I would suggest, if you can, pick up pick up the phone and call one of us if you're one of our membership because that's honestly, Nat, you, expert. Um, we've got so you. many people. Eh, yeah. I talk a lot. I, I, I get, it's got it. It's hey, you're crossing over the podcast boundaries. People are asking you to be on the podcast now. Yeah. You're an official podcast celeb. <laughs> no way. So Nat, I, I guess now we can 
I'll resume where, where, we, where we need to go with this full podcast. But Okay, let's see if we can push the accelerator one more time. No, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, um, I'm actually afraid of the both of you because I have no idea what else is going to come out of your mouths. But um, <laughs> when it comes to Durham, um, you mentioned a lot of stuff already, and Sebastian commented as well, and both of you had a chance to chime in on the topic. Um, to me, it, it, it really stood out because up until a few years ago, I don't think I've ever heard of anyone – looking at naltrexone for dermatolog dermatological applications. So thinking about episode 10, um, when we had you and you had a, a ton of information to share, and I think to this day, just for our audience listeners as well, I think it was probably one of our most popular podcasts we've ever done. And that was the reason why, why we wanted to have you back, uh, not for the, the great voice, Nat, just obviously for your knowledge as well. But um, let, let's talk more about Derm. And um, okay. kind of where you kind of see things go, you will be speaking on behalf of PCCA in, in early November, where we do have an autoimmune and pain conference here as well. I, I don't want to, I don't want you to kind of take away from that material and the presentation that you're doing, uh, but maybe you can give our listeners a bit more of, a, of an impression of where things are headed in, in the Durham space. Yeah, uh, so I'm doing a presentation uh, for um, the autoimmune. I'm doing several, but uh, one of the ones I'm doing is actually on autoimmune dermatological um, disease states. So I'm going to talk about several disease states, and it's um, it, it's a big topic. And I'm, actually, the the number of dermatological autoimmune conditions that there are is pretty vast. It surprises me how many there are, um, but I'm going to focus on maybe about ten of uh, the most common ones. So, um, for example, you know. Um, um, psoriasis, like I was talking about a minute ago. Uh, psoriasis is, is huge. I mean, there, there's probably, um, I don't even know how many millions of people worldwide are affected by psoriasis. I mean, it affects people pretty much of every ethnic uh, variety on the planet um, to one extent or another. And uh, I, I made this observation, and this is going to sound really bad, but I made this observation that most of the people that came in to see me as patients who had psoriasis they were never fit and healthy looking people. They were never fit and healthy looking people. They, they looked like they had diets that probably included a drive-through on an every other day basis, you know, and or um, they did things that didn't put, they didn't exercise or whatever. They, they look kind of like me. They look more like couch potatoes than they did fit individuals like you guys, okay? So, they, uh, they were the opposite of you. They looked like more like me. And because of that, I could tell that they had diet issues going on, but I didn't put two and two together when I first started treating psoriasis patients. I mean, I made my first psoriasis compound in 1977. Okay. Wow. I've been a pharmacist 40 years, guys, 40 years. So I've seen what, how this has progressed. I mean, I remember making pounds and pounds of coal tar and Aquaphor or, you know, yeah salicylic acid and you know all these different things that we used to use these keratolytics these these nasty nasty smelling and yucky greasy things that people used to put on and but it would take that that plaque psoriasis from thick plaque down to flat pink skin right and it would and they were happy to get it flat and pink again they hated the thick scale right so and i knew nothing about the disease state i mean i knew nothing about derm at that point in time right so it's one of those things where as you learn more about the disease state and you start to study, like even just look at the, the, the biopsy report, start reading the histology. What, what did the pathologist see on the slide? What was it looking like? 
you see trends, you know, you see all kinds of trends. So now they've got, you know, all this mapped out when it comes to the disease state so they can do a biopsy. A dermatopathologist can go, yeah, this is, and they'll name the disease right down to the nth degree. Uh, you know, and there's, by the way, there's 16 forms of psoriasis. Everybody thinks there's just plaque psoriasis, right? But there's 16 different types. There's five fairly common types, but most everybody, the, the plaque is the most common. So that's what everybody thinks that psoriasis looks like. But you treat them in large measure, you treat them based on the presentation. So plaque psoriasis is thick. You've got all this overgrowth of the keratinocytes. So you have hyperkeratotic state. So you treat the thickness is one of the aspects you're treating. But on other types of, of like guttate uh, uh, psoriasis, you don't get that thick plaque. It doesn't build up. So you don't need the coal tar. You don't need the keratolytics like we see in a lot of other derm preps. Um, so the approach is similar but different. The disease state is similar yet different because of, of the histology involved. But in terms of naltrexone, it's interesting to me because it doesn't matter what form of psoriasis we're talking about, they are all autoimmune problems. Even though they may appear entirely different, they are all autoimmune problems. So where does it start? Well, it starts like we just talked about. It starts in the gut, right? It starts with this inflammatory cycle. And would naltrexone help with any of those disease states or any of those forms? The answer is absolutely yes. No question about it. So when you're talking about oral low-dose naltrexone for these dermatological preps, and just straight point blank, how, how long do you tell patients that it's going to be before you, or uh, other, because you're consulting, other pharmacists, how long do you say that the patients have to wait before they see the uh, beginning of resolution or change? And do you combine topical with oral? Uh, I, I tell them, in if, they, if they ask me, well, how long is this going to take? It all depends on patient compliance, mm -hmm. right? All right. Did they really stop going to the drive-through? You know, or did they take the offending foods out of their diet or they just told you they did, or maybe they did it for a week and said, yeah, I'm better now. And then they went back to eating the way they used to eat. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's consistent <laughs> yeah. persistence over time. That's going to make a difference for the gut. Cause all it takes is one bad meal to blow your guts up for about three or four days. You know I mean? It doesn't, it, it, there's, there's no, oh, I ate broccoli and, and uh, you know, for a day and now I'm healthy again. No, that's not how this works. It's, it's from this day forward kind of a moment. But um, I, I, I had a lot of patients come to see me with psoriasis, right? And I would have them, I would say, listen, why don't we try eliminating these foods? I'll give them a specific list of foods. Let's eliminate these foods for the next three months. You can do that for three months and you do the head bob when you're talking to them, right? Because what do they do? They start bobbing like you guys are bobbing, right? Ah, they, they bob. Ah. And they go, yeah, and they're agreeing with you because you said, oh, you can do this for three to four months. Oh, yeah, I can do that for three to four months. And they stop eating whatever it is. So maybe they stop, just stop drinking sodas, you know, or maybe they stop drinking sweet tea or whatever it is that's got the sugar that's causing the inflammation, if that's the culprit for them. And you get them to stop. And then suddenly three or four months down the road, they go, you know, your skin's looking better on top of using something topically, like you're saying, absolutely. Right. And um, the combination of those things has made a difference. You go, okay, now I think we need to do this. And you take it one step further. And oh, by the way, I still want you to keep these things out of your diet. You're doing okay with that, aren't you? And you do the head bob and they go, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm saying I'm not saying you can never have it again. I'm just saying that you have to understand that from now on, whenever you eat that or drink that, that's contributing to your problem. You don't want to have this problem, do you? And you shake your head the other way and they go, no, no, I don't want to have that problem. So you have to talk to people so that they can kind of take it one bite at a time. It's like eating the elephant. You know, how do you do it? Right. And you kind of break it down into smaller steps because they have to have a goal. They have to have steps where they can achieve the goal. You know, if you just say they have to stop eating 25 foods, then they're not going to like you and they're likely to fail. Right. So make it doable. 
start with three to four months and then you can expand it out to, you know, I'm not saying you can't ever have it, just understand it's causing your problem mentality and so that they can buy into it a little better. Um, they've already done it for three to four months, so then they know they can do it, right? So, so Nat, when we're talking about like that three to four month, um, are you getting any feedback from any of our members who are seeing this, this sort of outcome that we are discussing theoretically? Yes, we are. We have members that are telling us that their patients are seeing positive results time and time again. Um, and for various indications, and then, uh, even the derm things, especially some of the derm things. Um, I, I think that when we, when we talk to some of our members that are doing a large volume of naltrexone, lotus naltrexone in their practices, they have more of those stories to share. And uh, I think it, there's a good body of evidence out there. It's just not getting published. Um, the, the other part to this, though, is topically... Um, we've got a bunch of formulas where we've been doing it. I think we've got a case study where we've, we've shown it in Zematop where we can actually see a decrease in cytokine production and a change in the actual histology of the skin. I know mm -hmm. that's available. Um, but, but we're seeing this as well. Are you see, are you using those techniques topically or what, what group are you using them in, in the autoimmune? Are you using them as straight rash or do you use them in specific other cases as well? Well, um, I, we've, been, we've been encouraging members to, um, you know, help us gather case studies uh, using that formula. Um, and I've got a couple of uh, pharmacists, one in particular that I'm working with to gather data on uh, using to treat atopic dermatitis, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's gathering some momentum. Also psoriasis, I think it's also, that's gathering momentum. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful the the formula with that, that one that uh, Dr. Song published the research on, right? She and the entire group published that research paper on just happened to be one of the formulas that I submitted. And it, it uh, it's kind of like watching one of your children get a scholarship and go to college. I mean, you just feel kind of proud that, oh, I helped put that formula together. You know what I mean? But it's uh, <laughs> yeah. not that I had anything to do with it. I just happened to be the guy lucky enough to, to take 20 minutes to enter it in the system. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, now it's, it's kind of cool to watch things that, that you work on, little projects you work on blossom and turn into something that somebody can actually use and that helps them, you know? So so where I find it really interesting with Neltrexone, and, I, and I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit more granular when it comes to the research, and this is where the geeky part is coming, is we're seeing it both affect um, negative, like hyper-inflammatory conditions. So we can down-regulate, down-regulate. In other cases, and I don't know if you've seen this, but they're starting to talk about using it topically and orally for this upregulation of activity in some, and not autoimmune, but almost some dermatological conditions. I'm starting to see it for deficits in um, skin production and, and wound healing and closure. You're saying itch, but I'm also saying like uh, repair, regeneration. Are you seeing that as well? Um, I, I have to some extent, I mean, the, like I said, the, the, I've been focusing mostly lately on the autoimmune side of things. So things like alopecia areata, uh, alopecia totalis, um, bullous mm -hmm. pemphigoid, uh, atopic derm, uh, eczema in general. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many, there's just so many. Mike's shaking his things. head. He's like, what is that? That sounds horrible. No, I've seen oh, it. it's beautiful. No, no, no I've seen yeah. it. I don't want to see it again. <laughs> or, or, or something, like every pharmacist who's, who's listening to this podcast has gotten a prescription to compound probably something for lichen sclerosis. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very, very common. I mean, I remember making that stuff for lichen sclerosis going back to, to the, uh, the early eighties. I mean, we made this, you know, these different topical things all the time. Did they work? No, not really. But now we've got something that can actually help with the immune side of things and make a big difference for these patients. And these, these women are suffering 
because it's it's they end up going to their gyn but it's not a gynecological problem it's only because that's the part of the anatomy it's actually a derm problem that's occurring on the genitals therefore it got, they end up going to their gyn because they think okay genitals gyn i'm going to go see them so um I, I think that we've got a lot to offer to multiple specialties not just the the dermatology crowd but certainly uh, the 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 um the the dermis, especially the dermis, we've got a lot to offer. And it's funny, I was at the AAD conference, the American Academy of Dermatology conference. Um, it's been a couple of years ago, it was 2017, uh, a little over two years ago, I was there in Orlando. And one of the doctors was talking about an autoimmune problem. And they were talking about how they were treating it using the latest, greatest biological and all this kind of stuff. And at the end, they were doing question and answers. I raised my hand and said, have you guys, is anybody using lotus naltrexone to treat this? And there's probably 200 dermatologists in this lecture, a panel up on the podium of at least five physicians and nobody acknowledged that they were using low-dose naltrexone to treat it. So I, I knew right away that the door was wide open, wide mm -hmm. open for knowledge to come their way. And now derms are starting to publish studies on treatment of various derm conditions using low-dose naltrexone. The data is starting to come in. And I think it's exciting. Uh, yeah, very, very exciting. Yeah, I've, I've, seen, I've seen some papers coming from some centers uh, in California where they've actually got uh, dermatological teaching centers. And they're the ones who are saying there's there's more value here. The mechanism is not clearly understood, but we really should be examining this for uh, options for these patients that aren't that aren't aren't doing well in these other uh, modalities of treatment. I'm actually starting to see it where it's if you are if you're looking at a derm patient and you're thinking some sort of anti-inflammatory or some sort of corticosteroid, you're better off using low-dose naltrexone for that same exact dosing schedule other than a hyper-acute uh, allergic reaction. If you're thinking corticosteroid, switch it out. Use naltrexone. Start there and, uh, and go with the same route of administration. You'll probably end up with a better outcome. And probably, and this is a weird one, when we're using naltrexone topically, you're talking about all the psoriasis and all the plaques. And we're burning those plaques down to pink skin again. Well, what happens to that skin at that point if you've suppressed all of the activity? It's not going to regenerate nicely. With naltrexone topically and orally, we're actually getting a re return to normal, healthy, robust skin, which is which is mind blowing as well, as opposed to yeah. the steroids, which are just vaporizing the tissue underneath. Yeah, Ster steroids obviously have been the, the magic bullet for treatment of almost anything topical. Yeah. At least that's what they all the all physicians think. Okay, put a steroid on it. You know, what I mean, they don't know what else to do. Put a steroid on it and see yeah. what happens. The problem is that one of the side effects from steroids is thinning of the skin, possibly elimination of pigment production. You get hypopigmentation, and it could be permanent. You can also get the thinning of the skin to the point that the blood vessels surface, you end up with tangletasia, where the blood vessels are permanently on the surface of the skin and don't go away. They just, mm -hmm. it's permanently like a, you know, a, a spider vein situation going on. And um, if you, if it's a disease state in which you're treating it with a steroid and it responds positively, it's probably an immune problem. Because what is that? What do steroids do? Well, they suppress the immune system. Well, if you suppress the immune response and it gets better, what does that tell you? You know, so now we've got, like you said, we've got another option to treat immune problems with that are steroid-free. Mm -hmm. And, so and it's not, and, and even some of the steroid-free things in the past, like we've tried, like tacrolimus, things of that nature, calcineurin inhibitors are not without side effects either, right? They're mm -hmm. not. So here we've got something that's not a calcineurin inhibitor, and it's not a steroid, and it still helps with the disease state. So I think we've got a lot to offer. We And I've been combining, in some of the formulas I've been making, I've been combining naltrexone with things like mast cell stabilizer antihistamine combinations like azelastine. Uh, I think azelastine is an excellent, the derm ingredient is kind of underrated. 
because it's been we've known about it for nasal use and ophthalmic use, but nobody's really used it for derm. I think it's got wonderful potential for derm because it's such a, a, a very potent mast cell stabilizer. And mast cells are the little cells in the immune system that release the histamine, right, which cause the itch, which cause the redness and the cytokines that cause all the swelling and the inflammation. So if you can keep them from, you know, releasing all that stuff and starting that whole party, then, you know, you just bypassed a lot of uh, suffering for your patient's skin. And this is, this is where the whole immune system comes into play. You can never just say it's a single, a single stream. It, it, it's so intermingled. Like you said, the mast cell stabilizers, if we can prevent the, de, uh, the or sorry, the histamine release, the degranulation of that, those, those cells, you can avoid a lot of problems. Well, a lot of the time, the activation of that is going to be some sort of offending pathogen or activations through another system. And so the use, the use of the, the two, you're getting a better outcome for the patient. You're going to avoid itch, but you're going to control itch, and then you're also going to prevent itch. Like, it's, 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 it's almost a three-four by doing the two drugs. It's, it's brilliant. It's just kind of putting your dermatological brain to work and, and utilizing that knowledge. So fun, 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 fun. This is where it's going to get really geeky, Mike. We're going to try and no, it's fine. Tie, tie, it, tie, it, tie, it, tie it off here. And you, this is where I would go. But uh, yeah. I, I, I do have one more comment, which is, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, for me, in the dermatological world, I look at things like shingles. I, I, we, I've been picking up naltrexone a little bit, and people think, like, oh, you're just using naltrexone in everything, and I'm not so sure, and you're really just trying to get me to use this expensive molecule again. And I don't know about your perspective on this one. Um, I, I'm going to get a bit sciencey on this one. We know that there's a, a, a complete destruction through the nerve by the, well, not a complete destruction, sorry, an irritation along the entire nerve tract through that expression of the, of the virus. And there is information there that shows that a different toll-like receptor, 3, gets activated, and this is part of the um, inflammatory response along the entire nerve tract. The exact opposing TLR receptor is the TLR4, which we modulate with the naltrexone. And in the nerve tissue, this can be part of it. Plus, there's, mu there's um, opioid receptors along this, the entire nerve cell, which we get an itch plus pain response, plus we get the inflammatory cytokine activation, plus we get tissue destruction, plus we get an activation around the nerve. And so this is how we can have this entire uh, setup of post-herpatic neuralgia. So for me, if you're getting patients with shingles, I don't know what your experience is, Nat. It's like, if you can catch them in that first seven to nine days, you give them the antiviral, plus you get some naltrexone in there, orally or topically. It's just, I'm really seeing some positive effects in there. So do you have anything to add to that or any? I've, I've, not, I've not done that with any patients thus far, but it sounds fascinating. Yep. It's definitely, it's on the menu from this day forward. Yep, we're, <laughs> we're putting it in there. Um, warts, same thing. It's a viral, it's a viral activation. Yep. You want to increase yep. immune cell activity. Uh, molluscum contagiosum, like we can just start naming them off and it, it goes. Yep. Um, yep. My comment, though, is for people who want to come and pick Nat's brain, you want to come in November. I believe the dates are the 7th, 8th, 9th of November. I believe that's correct. Let me make sure of that date real quick. And we're going to be hosting it here in Houston in, the, in our learning center. So you get a chance to uh, you'll actually have more consultants in the building. You get to see the magic. You can actually ask questions. Come down and see the base room, which is always fun. I think that's Nat's favorite part because we're doing so many things topically. And so he gets to share information there. 7, 8, and 9. You're correct on the dates. 
And so we have this opportunity. If, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to come and you want to spend some more time with Nat, I'm always in the office. I, I, I'll talk your ear off anytime. And uh, we can talk about this more. And then we're going to have a lot of very, very, very uh, thought-provoking practitioners who may be adding more to the conversation. I wouldn't miss this one. This is going to be great. Autoimmune with derm? Like, man, if you want to build... And the last day is nothing but pain, by the way. And pain also. Yep. Pain also. Which I know is up your alley as well. Oh, yeah. And also about how autoimmune disease are... Some of them are associated with pain. So there's a portion of autoimmune disease with pain on the last day as well. So it all ties together nicely. Oh, man. If you want to see me spin in circles, get me talking about the microbiome with autoimmune and pain and naltrexone. Yes. That's like the, oh, it's the trifecta. It's like, oh, this is awesome. But yeah, come if you, if you get the opportunity and you want to learn more and build your practice in this in this market, this, this is going to be the absolute opportunity to do it. Couldn't have wrapped it up any better. Thanks, Nat. Put a bow on it. Yeah, Nat, my pleasure, guys. Nat, I really Thanks, appreciate gentlemen. you doing this again. Uh, like I said, you were so popular on episode 10, we had to bring you back, and we'll probably bring you back again. Like Mike said, thank you for joining us, Nat. Uh, again, treatment, clinical evaluation, research the available scientific literature when starting these treatments. I know we're talking about compounding, and I know we can get really carried away and get excited and enthusiastic but there's scientific basis in our decisions and it is important that you are aware of that literature so you can uh, confidently express your your decision cascade so nat um thank you for joining us we can't wait to have you back on you are always a wealth of information thank you thank you thank you look forward to it awesome thanks Seb. Thanks to all of you for tuning into this week's episode. We definitely appreciate the support. Uh, just always a quick reminder to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, this is Mike Delicio, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.